Welcome back to another exciting edition of the uh, Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap. Is it this? Some? I don't know. It's remember Some. and remember blank crap with uh, me, yours truly, Andy, and Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you doing? Doing good, Andy. How are you? Good. All right. Um, you can find me at... Oh, here. I, here's a little program <laughs> note for the for the fans at home. Um. I spent yesterday tearing my hair out because the Discipio.com, uh, which people probably only go to now to click on the podcast because everything else is on PointlessExercise.com, just to confuse people, was not working on my phone. It was all weird, and I kept trying to fix it, and I called the people at the um, at the host, and they were like, oh, it looks fine. I'm like, oh, you're stoned. It looks terrible. Uh, it turns out that only if you have upgraded your iPhone to the new operating system is it screwed up. And nobody knows how to fix it. So if it's screwed up, congratulations, you're like me, you upgraded your phone. It'll still work, it just looks weird. So you're saying I do need to upgrade my phone? Well, if you want Discipi to look weird. To look weird, okay, otherwise leave it be. Okay, then I'll just... Yeah, I would think that uh, Apple is going to be like, why aren't people downloading the new right. operating system as well, because Discipio doesn't look right on it. Right. It, it, it's the, it's pretty much just a cascading effect. Yes. And they better recognize that. So anyway, Soon. that's that. And speaking of uh, phones and other things, uh, Mike, uh, your Twitter handle is at Hugh Cub. Hugh Cub. Yes. And mine is Discipio.com, all spelled out. If you because want, there's uh, some, actually I forget who has the Twitter handle, but there's a, there's some kind of like sociology professor in California named Louis Decipio. Yes. And he must not like me at all because I know I that mean, I get a lot of Google alerts for him. And I, I well, he probably doesn't get a lot for me. But this ever... goes back. Well, this goes back since I first stumbled across Decipio 17 years ago. And I kind of remember sometimes when I'd be looking for it that this poor professor, Decip- that was his last name, was Decipio? Yeah. The man's last name was the Latin to make a fool's out of uh, make an ass of oneself. That's why oneself. That's why Discipio is Discipio, and that was all because I wanted to call it balls. That's what I was going to call it. I thought it was a great name. Uh, Greg Nettles had already used it for, I'm sure, a a terrible biography, but I wanted to call it balls. Somebody owned it and wanted to sell to me for twenty thousand dollars. Wow. That might as well have been, now. I mean, now it might as well be a billion dollars in 1997 or whatever. That might as well have been a trillion dollars to me. So I had to think of something else, and yeah. I managed to think of something that people couldn't remember and couldn't spell. So it was genius. Um, curiosity would compel me who purchased balls, but I really don't think I should look that up. Yeah, I don't. At the time, it wasn't pornographic. <laughs> it might be now. Well, that's like, um, and it might have just been parked. Even I don't think, you know, people okay. would just squat on names, right, right, and then try like, to I re- sell them. I, I remember like early in Web point, Web two point or whatever. Like let's say between around the early aughts, let's say, kind of when I discovered Scipio. So it wasn't as uh, dynamic as it is now, but it was very, you know, much more informative than it was in 1995 when it rolled out. And there was people, you know, people were recognizing the value that was coming with. Um, uh, a lot of these website addresses. And I remember reading an article and one of the examples used was whoever it was that was squatting on Sammy Sosa.com, which I don't think that person ever sold that for whatever price he wanted for Sosa. I think it's still just a bunch of like pop-up ads and whatever. Um, 
but yeah, that was a thing, you know, um, it's obviously a lot, the opportunities are a lot thinner now because it's yeah. been saturated. I don't remember. There, there, were, there were sports teams that were slow on the uptake and entre- you know, and enterprising young people bought their URLs. Like I would have loved to have bought, been savvy enough to have bought cubs.com and have made those assholes pay up. They probably wouldn't have. I'd probably still just own it and they'd be, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's all pretty. They ended up, I think, clearing how all the all the pro sport. If you just type in Raiders, yeah, everybody's everybody's really. I'm, I'm, at some point, people must have just said, "Screw it, we need." It's a part of our brand. We have to pay it. So people, I would. I'm sure people made. Think money. so. So so so. Did you say somebody bought Balls.com from you, or no? You never. You, they were offering. No, I hadn't thought of it before. until it was someone right, already. Right. Somebody had already squatted on it. Yeah. But I probably could have come up with a better name than Disipio. But no, it's good. I like it. It's unique. It's only twenty three years ago. So yeah. All right. So we're supposed to remember crap. Probably not that crap. Um, this week, very exciting. Now the, it's it's amazing to me. The Bears are four and one. I don't know how they do it. Literally, I watch the games and don't know how they do it. Right. Um, now they're facing the red hot Carolina Panthers, winners of three in a row. And I don't remember if it was, I believe it was the Bear podcast where I went on and on about former Bear running back uh, Thomas Davis. Who might his, start, right? Well, that's not his name. It's Mike oh. Davis. Thomas Davis was oh, a linebacker oh. for the Panthers. Okay. The guy who famously broke his arm, right? And then had it like sewn up for the Super Bowl or whatever. And they showed that weird thing on it or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. So right team, I, wrong guy. I listened to that podcast and I didn't recognize the name, but I just took your word for it because I hadn't been paying as close attention to the Bears. But I do now, now that you mentioned it, remember Mike Davis. Was he not like the third running back that they signed? Even like, like usually your third running back is a guy that you just is just walking down the street. They, and yeah, they forward. signed him and then they released him right before his contract would have been guaranteed. Okay. So okay, they Ooh. gave him his. I'm sure they told him, "Hey, you go be free." Go find a place where you can play more. And he's like, well, how about just pay me? Yeah. I'd rather stay and get paid. Uh, okay. Yes, and we don't know yet. I guess they're going to find out tomorrow if Christian McCaffrey is healed up enough to play. I think he should probably take another week off. Why risk it? It's the prudential move. Yeah. Uh, so it would be nice if he didn't play. For so, his benefit. Uh, yes, doing uh, copious amounts of research, as always, for this podcast. The thing that struck me is that the um, Carolina Panthers, born in 1995. So this is their 25th year, probably 26th if you're doing 26th if you start in 95, which they did, them in Jacksonville. Matt Rule is their current head coach. Do you know what number coach he is in Panthers history? Uh, I'm gonna guess, and just so you know, you do. I, I appreciate the the, the quote unquote cursory uh, research that you assuredly do before this. I do absolutely none. Um, once in a while, I might like you know look up one thing, but otherwise, I like to just shoot from the hip. Um, and I do. I was thinking the other day to begin with, um, was Dom Capers their first coach, or did he join that? He was their no, first. He is yes. Dom was no, numero uno, and he took them to the title game in in the second season of their franchise existence Yes, at the same time that Jacksonville also had gone to the title right. game. About the time the NFL realized, uh, I think we did the expansion draft wrong. As you look <laughs> the draft, they gave them the full salary cap. That's what they screwed okay. up. Okay. And the, well, the other pissed. thing, 
because they were they they were still bad the first year, but not horrible like oh, Tampa Bay Bucks. Seven and nine. Last. They were seven and what? nine their first. Year. Well, I here's what I'll tell you: is the Bears actually managed to play both teams in '95 in their first year. They beat them both times, but they right. squeaked. But they I remember they squeaked by Jacksonville. Probably had more to do with the hair lip Dave wants that coach in the, the bears than any actual competence by Tom Coughlin's Jaguars. But it worked out where the bears got to play both expansion teams that year. And they were neither, you know, I, the Jacksonville game at least was not um, that easy. And then both teams were in that title game. So is that, that's what it was. They, they had unlimited resources compared to. Well, yeah. Everybody else had bad contracts on their cap. And so when you go into free agency, well, I can't afford this guy or this guy. And the two new teams are like, Hey, we got nothing on ours. Come on over. They could overpay guys. I don't know how well they did, but that was the, that was always the theory. And then they both drafted good quarterbacks. Um, Kerry Collins. Did they? Yeah. Kerry Collins. Brunell was not drafted by Jacksonville though, because he was. Oh, that's Brett right. Farmer's he was a. That's right. Green he was Bay. a trade. They had a trade for him. I don't even know. Was he? He was even there the first year because they had. When did they get Steve Berline? <laughs> uh, boy, I can't believe we've talked about our name in the past, and I don't know if we brought up Berline's name till now. Um. Yeah, I don't know who their quarterback would have been in '95. I know Brunell was their back. Green Bay's backup in '94. Oh, wait, Berline so was could've... a Panther. He wasn't both, was he? He was. Yeah, was he, he came a Jag at... and a Panther. He played for all the Cats. I don't think he was. I don't think he was a Jag. I think oh. you're right. He was a Panther. And Collins was a rookie, I think, in '95. So he might not even have been their starter. They may have started off with Berline and gone off. But back to coaches. So you've got Caper started, and then you have. The two the two coaches that took him to the Super Bowl were associated with the Bears, yep. Ron Rivera and John Fox. Yep. Uh, George Seifert coached the Panthers, right? Did yep. I dream that or that happened he after did. he won two Super Bowls to San Fran? Yeah, quite a trend uh, for George. He, three years, he went eight and eight, seven and nine, one and fifteen. I, I thought he went one and fifteen. Yep. Um, all right, so twenty six years. I'm going to say that they're on their eighth coach. They're on their fifth. Oh, coach. just their fifth. Uh, so I named we named them. You all. named them all. Now, all they've had wow. is Dom Capers, George Seifert, John Fox, Ron Rivera. Actually, Perry Fuel uh, coached a game or two as an interim, but that doesn't Lead count. singer of Jane, Jane's Addiction. Yes. Yep. And Matt Rule. That's pretty impressive. Now, it helps that it is. Fox was there for fucking ever. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. Then Rivera, one, two, three. Yeah, Chico was there for a bit. Nine years. So 18 years of just two coaches. And then uh, I'm surprised Capers wasn't there longer, considering he took him to the title game early on. But the only know, coach, so yeah, Capers was only there four years. The only coach, other than Rule, who didn't take them at least to an NFC Championship game was George Seifert. Really? Yep. Dom Fox and Rivera all did. In fact, Fox and Rivera he won the NFC title game. Right. Okay. So I'm wondering now, and we could figure this out without looking it up, but since that in that time, the Bears have had Wanstead, Jerron, Lovey Smith, um, Tressman, Fox. And so the Bears are already on six, and they, you know, they were not a bad team in 95, at least on paper. Yeah, and that's with Lovey for 10 years. Yeah, eight, nine, I think, but yeah. So for one third of those were, were, were lovely, but of course you're talking about a team that has made uh, one, two trips to the title game. Panthers have been to quite a bit more. So there you go. We've seen another team join the league in our lifetime that has had a better run than our beloved. I guess we should be used to it by now. Now, um, 
the one thing the Bears have going for them is they have never had to take down the statue of an owner for being a racist Hardy's franchisee. Well, there's a feather in our cap. No. But the in fact when Jerry Richardson sold the Panthers, he wrote into the contract that they had to leave the statue up. And okay. then they basically after you know, this past offseason said, Yeah, no. We're, we're taking it down. You're a scum. Wow. He, he was actually that insecure about yes. his own legacy that yep. he had to put that in writing? And the statue is like the Colossus of Rhodes. I mean, it was like this <laughs> enormous. The panther part of it was cool. There's like two, there's panthers on either side of him. And then he's up there with his football. Now, he was famous. He was um, former he was the only, player. Yeah, the, the only the, NFL owner that had actually been an NFL player, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It feels like there was another because, like Hallis, although that's he's cheating. He well, owned the team and played on it. Jerry Jones did play football at Arkansas, but not in the NFL. I'm thinking maybe Jerry was like a, an All Pro. There was there was another thing that diff, that you're right. He was famous for being because he was I think he played for the Colts. Who did Jerry Richardson? Jerry Richardson. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm looking at I'm looking at the. Uh, at the statue now, and I would have been pretty embarrassed if my likeness. So I don't came know up. if they left the cats and just took him down. Yeah, the cats do look cool, yeah. man. Not repurpose the cats. They don't need to. You know, the cats don't need to pay for. If, his, if you, it's it's kind of funny if you just Google Jerry Richardson statue, you'll see the statue, but then you'll also see some with like the the yellow harness taking old Jerry away because <laughs> it was obviously newsworthy when they removed it. <laughs> wow! Oh, so a, a few th- while you looked at it, a few things about the Panthers that I uh, remember was that my I had a college roommate who, for some reason, thought John Casey, and he wasn't even kicking for the Panthers at the time, but he was. I was thinking because he kicked for the Panthers for a long time. He insisted no. his name was John Casey, and we almost didn't let him keep him in the fantasy draft because he mispronounced his name. In fact, that was. My, I had another roommate who was a huge hockey fan, and he wanted to have a hockey fantasy draft. And we're all like, we don't know enough about how you have a hockey fantasy draft. But he convinced us that he wanted to have one. And he was going to make the rule that if you pronounce the player's name wrong, you couldn't get them. And we're like, well, we're not going to get anybody then, because we're not, we're not going to pronounce anybody's name right. So it was John Cassay. I also had a girlfriend who, thought, who for some reason... Uh, thought Carrie Collins' name was Carrie Carrie Collins. I never understood that one, but we always called Carrie 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 Collins. Um, so we always called Why him not? Carrie Carrie. But then the only there's really only two games in Panthers Bears history that stand out in my mind. One is recent, just a couple of years ago, when Eddie Jackson became the first player in NFL history to score two defensive touchdowns of more than 75 yards. And I don't even remember that. He had a 75-yard interception return for a touchdown and a 76-yard fumble return for a touchdown. What do you think the final score <laughs> of the game was? 14-12? to 12. Bears won 17-6. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so Eddie, uh, Eddie Purdue, that was a John Fox special. Oh, actually, John there's Fox. another one. I should say there's three games. Cause I, I, we're going to get into this. The I still have horrible memories of Steve Smith. Just yep. running wild all over the Soldier Field uh, turfus. Yep. In a yep. playoff game. Uh, but then there's also the uh, Jimmy Clausen um, 
God, was that the Jonathan, Todd Collins? Jonathan, Jonathan Quinn. No, no, Todd Collins. Todd, Todd Collins. Collins. One of the worst games. Right. Uh, the, where Col- um, Collins got picked off five times and the Bears won easily, I think. Uh, maybe four times. The only start that Jay Cutler didn't make in the 2010 season. Uh, the only other one that I will add that jumps out was, and we're going to talk about the playoff game, I think, just to sort of, you know, for cathartic purposes, I suppose. Earlier in that season, they played the Panthers at home, and uh, it was quite the opposite. I went to this game, and I just remember how stoked I was coming home because it was like the first time since like the 84, 85, where we really felt like, holy shit, this team is you know, they, they turned a corner because they got off to like a slow start. You remember in 05, they're one and three. They had the back-to-back losses to uh, Cincinnati and it's, yeah, it's, it's Cleveland on the road. And, but they, they sort of caught a little bit of a fire. And when they, when they matched up with Carolina, Carolina at that point was sort of a perennial playoff team. They had, you know, they went to the Super Bowl in 2000, uh, 2003, right? I believe so. The Janet Jackson Super Bowl. Yep. Um, we're usually pretty much going uh, most of the times. So they were established, and they came into Soldier Field, and the Bears just ate them up. I think they dropped Dell home like eight or nine times in that game, something like that. And they just the defense just it reminded me of the mid '80s, and that not just the mid '80s, but that point between '84 and '85 where you just saw a team just sort of develop. Um, and then they got the rematch in the playoffs and they didn't even really have a chance to get their footing because the game was sort of almost over before it started. Right. Yes. So the, um, the, the stretch they went on in 05, they won one, two, three, four. they won eight in a they, row. They beat Baltimore at home too, a little bit before Carolina. Yes. And in remember. that, and in that stretch in that, in what did I just say? Eight in a row. In that eight, eight in a row, they won one, two, three, Six of those, they allowed 10 or fewer points. <laughs> they weren't scoring a lot, but they were beating the crap out of people. Yes, they beat the Panthers 13-3. to three. Yeah, they weren't scoring a lot because Kyle Orton was the quarterback. Not to denigrate him, but it's just they didn't really have a lot of confidence. And Why would you with that defense? Tommy Harris had to have been healthy, as was Mike Brown and everything else, right? Right. So you thought, all right, well, here they go. And yeah. um, so the playoff game starts. 55 seconds into the game, it's 7-0. Steve Smith has scored on a 58-yard touchdown pass from the great Jake DeLome with a John Mm -hmm. Cassay extra point. Then John Cassay kicked kicked field goals, two of them, and the Bears are down 13-zip. But Adrian Peterson, the The good Adrian Peterson, the other. He made it 13 to 7 on a one yard run. Cassay uh, kicked a field goal right before the half to make it 16 to 7, but the Bears scored first in the second half. Yep. Des Clark from Rex. And the 16 14, like, all right, here we go. And um, then it was another and a 39 yard touchdown pass from DeLome to Smith. Yeah. Um, Jason okay. McKee scored at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and the Bears were only down two. Yep. Uh, but then the great Chris Mangum. I don't know if he's any relation to John. John Mangum. Mangum. Probably twin brothers. Um, he scored on a touchdown pass. Kasey kicked, missed an extra point to leave the Bears kind of in it, down 29-21. Uh-huh. To no avail. Uh, before I get to my own story of watching that game, I do have to say, you mentioned John Mangum. Uh, I believe he was the one Bear who played for Mike Ditka, Dave Wanstead, and Dick Jaron. Wow. I could be wrong. 
Well, uh, I'm, thro- I'm yeah. throwing it out there. Or, or I'm sorry, Big Cat Williams did too, so I might be wrong. Maybe they both did. Never mind. John Mangum, though, I do remember. Nope, good number 26. So if you remember that Steve Smith had a big game, he did. And it might even be bigger than you remember. Because I didn't realize it was th- – I knew it was bad. Over 200 yards? Yes, 12 catches for 218 wow. yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. He's, he, uh... he basically was their entire offense. Um. I mean, well, they did. They, I guess, they ran for 123 yards, but it took him 31 carries to do it. But he was, he was the bulk of it. Much better than Drew Carter, Ricky Prohl, and Brad Hoover. Ricky Prohl all caught multiple passes. Sure. Ricky Prohl, of course, to me, it's one of the most astonishing coincidences that twice he was on the receiving end of a touchdown reception in the Super Bowl yeah. by an NFC quarterback that tied the game late in the fourth quarter. And in both instances, Tom Brady and the New England Patriots came down the field with the clock winding, winding down and Adam Vinatieri hit a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. Both times, Ricky Prohl caught the the tying touchdown. which And that was a few years after Ricky Prohl was at the Bears, you'll recall. Mm-hmm. Horrible team in 97. And Wanstead somehow just hated Ricky Prohl because he caught, he was like the only guy catching touchdowns for them back then. You can look it up. He had like five or six touchdowns, but at some point Wanstead just got sick of him and his competence and, ah, and caught him. Ah, right. Our receivers aren't supposed to score. So Ricky Prohl, 1997, played in 15, started 15 games for the Bears. Okay. No, started 10, played 15. He caught. 58 passes for 753 yards and seven touchdowns. Seven. And he may have led the team in that. 40 that of his 58 catches were for first down. Wow. Old Tommy Waddle at yeah. him. And he wore the same number. 87. Yeah. Well, Wani was a prick. I'm so glad that Wani is uh, on the Bears postgame show on uh, Comcast now. Oh yeah, he certainly seems to be able that to wet it, to wet his beak. And, and Hopefully, home. I guess I think he does. Like I think he comes into Chicago just like for the middle of the week to do his okay. shit, and so that he may have he, been why he was on Thursday. And hopefully, he won't be back. He doesn't live in Chicago. I don't know, but I think, he, I, think I know he he, he lines up all of his appearances are like Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, maybe Friday, and then he's he can do whatever. Well, he's got to go to. Uh, well, no, he's not on that anymore, is he? He does. What? He doesn't do, do the college yeah, football thing anymore on Fox, but he does. Okay, I think he does some Fox stuff. So I think he goes to LA for the weekend. I wouldn't be surprised if he still has a home in the in the North suburbs because I'm pretty sure his kids were. Sell it. <laughs> his, his Mike Matheny were... was his realtor, <laughs> and he's still having a hell of a time selling it. But he basically raised his kids here, and they they're you know Chicago raised, and I I don't think I think he's kind of here. So yeah. He's he's something. Yeah. Okay, no. so the uh, the <clears throat> I remember where I was for that playoff game because it was the um it was a, it was a late game on Sunday. Uh-huh. And we had hustled home my dad and I from the Cub convention. We used to the first couple of years we went, we stayed for we'd be there for Friday night. And then we'd stay Saturday, go to okay. the like minor league shit, 
Sunday I mean, morning, I, and then I want, and, and then make the trek back north. I, I want to say the first time you and I met was at the previous year's convention, probably. Um, but in, yeah, okay. In okay's. Correct. Yeah, those were good times. Those were always fun, especially in the first few years, for sure. Got yeah. to the point where first the first thing we did was we stopped. We just started going home on Saturday. So you know what? There's no reason to stay. Then I got to the point where I would go on Friday, but not go to the convention. Right. Right. <laughs> that was, the that most was fun. smart. That was. What are you gonna do? Stand in line all hours, just surrounded by people trying to get autographs. Well, I've missed. I'm sure I would have loved I, to have sat and listened to Mike Quaddy go on for. True. He could maybe to give me a nickname. That would have been cool. Yeah. Right. Um, so you were at the convention, and the game was at Soldier Field. So you probably had the uh, Eagles stayed in the hotel. Not we the saw, Eagles, the Panthers. Saw, or the Panthers. The Panthers stayed in the hotel. and that, Or maybe not. Maybe it was the... <sighs> a lot of Panthers fans, I'm sure. Kitty what year did they lose to the half. Eagles in the playoffs? Because I think that was Jan- it. January of 02. Okay. When did I go? Yeah. Would that have been the first... That would have been the first year we went. Okay. Because the next year was the Dusty Baker one. Yes. Dusty. And, and I remember thinking... I remember thinking... I mean, I was in the tank for Dusty that first year. Up until uh, we all were. We up all until were. like uh, the top of the eighth, the eighth inning, right? Bottom of the eighth, yeah, top of the eighth. But I remember him, you know, because it, it had been. Uh, so the first year I went, Don Baylor was there. Is that right? He would have been uh, in two thousand. Yeah, in January of oh two. Yeah. I don't have any memory. Got... I don't have memory of that, but I'm sure that's it. Because I remember the Eagles being in. I know it was the Eagles, and I remember uh-huh. the, the Eagles were in the hotel too. Um, but yes, so I remember Dad and I saying. After Dusty, you know, gave one of his, you know, he is, he, he's a charismatic dude. I will give him that. No and he doubt. tells, especially when you hear his stories for the first time, and you think, oh, mm-hmm. this is great. You don't realize he's going to tell the same ones. Right. He's got 12 stories. Yeah. That he's going to tell them for four years right. nonstop, and they all involve batting behind Hank Aaron. Um, right. I remember thinking, if they can't win with this guy, it's a lost cause. And, well, they kind of did. But uh, Yeah, yeah. You know. Anyway. So did you watch that from like the bar at Shitty or or you are was that when you were already pulling up stakes and heading home? No, we got home. We oh, we no, left. it was on Sunday, so you're going Sunday. home regardless. Yeah. yeah. So we right. got home to watch. And it was and it was a late game, so you got home in time. Yes. And then all excited. So, Woohoo, yeah. what a weekend. And then Right, right. So nothing. I was not in Chicago uh when that game was, was played. Um just a little backstory. My uh my first child, my daughter, was born in February of 06, a month later. So, uh, you know, she lovely, smart, talented, uh, 14-year-old today, just started high school. But in January of 2006, um, my uh, wife was still housing her and uh, was about a month away. And in her infinite grace, um, gave her blessing for me to make a little road trip out to uh, Denver, Colorado, I had a friend that lived out there, and I went with a couple of other buddies. So it was like a guy's trip, kind of like, you know, blow off some steam before I'm going to be a dad and whatnot. And it just so happened that it was the weekend that the Bears uh, were playing the Panthers. Um, and, you know, you don't know that when you book the flight. You don't know what time it's going to be, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm having a good time. We go out there. I went skiing on Saturday. Uh, but it was mostly just a sort of a, you know, debauch fest, just a kind of a drink fest and whatever. And uh, Saturday night, you know, we, we finish up wake up on Sunday and we got to get, we got to get to the airport and uh, I got one buddy in the group. I went out there with two other guys and uh, you know, the, our friend that lives out there was driving us to the airport. One of our buddies thought, you know, it's a good idea. First of all, to 
to get to the airport early because we wanted to watch some of the game. Our flight was basically going to take over or going to take off around halftime. So we weren't, we weren't going to see the whole game, uh, but we wanted to see as much of it as we, as we could. And uh, as we're heading to the airport, one of our friends that had like leftover beers thought it was a good idea to, you know, why not start getting rid of these now on the way to the airport? Um, and, you know, if it was my idea, I would stand up for it. So I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but, and we were all willing participants, not that we needed it. But of course we get to the airport well before the flight. Cause we want to watch the game. Um, and I should also add that when we had flown in from Chicago, here's another, this is kind of an important plot twist, but my driver's license had expired. And this hmm. comes in a little bit later. Uh, O'Hare, of course, didn't really make much of a deal out of it. And so I didn't think twice about it. And then we get to, the, we get to um, Denver International Airport. We get there early. Um, when, I, when we checked in, we want to get to the gate. We want to get everything taken care of. She saw that my license was expired. She kind of stamped my ticket and didn't really say anything or whatever. And, you know, it was acknowledged, but didn't think twice about it. Let's get to the bar. Let's watch the game. We've already had a couple car beers, and now we're at the bar. And uh, and we watched Steve Smith pants the Bears right off the bat. And it was a frustrating first half. You just recapped it. Bears were down a bit. They showed a little bit of life. But now we got to catch our flight. And, you know, we've got about three or four hours of drinking at this point. <laughs> and so... We're getting up there, and um, my issue with the expired license became an issue because they saw my ticket, and there was the stamp, and you know they start to discuss it with me, and just being um, Irish, and you know this is going to be hard to believe, uh, Andy, but once in a while, you know, through the years, you know, I have a few beers, I've been going at it for a few hours, I can maybe get a little sarcastic, you know, perhaps a little belligerent, and. Um, and so I, I was kind of, you know, I was being a little self-righteous and indignant and, you know, that didn't help my case at all. And then I had to get something out of my backpack. I think it must have been the actual driver's license itself. And as I did, I had forgotten that our friend who had the idea for the car beers had also decided let's stuff a few cans of mm. beer into the backpacks for the flight home, being frugal and alcoholic at the same time. Uh, and it's, it's occurred to me now that we would never have gotten these bags through. No, um, not anymore. Where, no. Right. It's just after 9-11, but, you know, it took a while for it to get really strict. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you have Four a can years. of beer in your backpack and you put it through the screener, they're going to flag it. But they didn't then. But it was obviously not a good look when I'm already kind of being a dick and a little bit indignant. And I'm trying to find my wallet and three cans kind of pop out. But he made me go and I had to, like, validate it somehow. And, like, we're getting on the flight. My buddies are getting on the flight. And I'd, like, run, like, through the airport like a – a fat white drunk OJ uh, to do what I, to do what this guy had to have me do with my ticket. And then I run all the way back and I'm like, Oh, the, the, the plane's still here. I'm going to get on. And then he, he just decided he'd had enough. He said, no, you're not getting on this flight. And that's it. So it's first and only time that I've ever actually been held off of a flight. Wow. Very, very proud moment. Uh, just due to my own belligerent, um, an intoxicated attitude. And the thing about it was too, is like, well, you can get on the next flight, you know, you sober up and whatever. And, and so, you know, normally I'd be like, all right, I can't get on the flight. I'm going to go to the bar and watch the end of the bears game, you know, but I couldn't yeah. because he was watching me. So I had to sort of like, the game was on, fortunately, at the gate, or unfortunately, depend you know, depending on how you look at it. And so I just kind of sat there looking at the TV screen up above as I slowly got a headache because yeah. I was just 
sitting there. And it was, you know, the, the Bears didn't look bad. They they made a little bit of a comeback, um, but I, I I kept my peace. The guy let me on the next flight, but that's my experience of the uh, the Bears Packers game. Just thought I would share well, yeah, you, a yeah. moment a moment of debauchery from my youth. You're getting a headache from sobering up and from Rex uh, going 17 of 41 <laughs> passing. Was he that bad? Because. You know, I was always a little bit defensive about Rex because I always felt he got piled on a bit much. It seemed like he had moments in that game where, all right, we're going to get back in it. I had no idea he was 17 of 41 for 192 yards. He only got sacked once. It tells you how much I was drinking that day then. Uh, Leading receiver for the Bears, uh, some illustrious Bernard Berrien, 5 for 68. Was was Muhammad on that team? Muhammad, yeah. Yeah, he was on that team. 3 for 58. Justin Gage, 3 for 28. Good number 18. Dez had two for five. Dez. The touchdown. Eddie Berlin caught a – caught a no, he had a target. Didn't catch it. And Gabe Reed also targeted. 82, 82 I want to say. I, I, I'm i proud to admit I vaguely recall at least the last two names. I, I recall the others pretty well. Uh, Gabe Reed and – wow. All right, so what is the thing people most remember about Dom Capers? Is he the guy that Kevin Green tried to kick the hell out of <laughs> while he was at the Panthers? Do you remember that? Panthers or the Packers. He brought him to the Packers, too. It, it was like the cameras caught it like during a timeout. I don't think it was Dom Capers. It was more of like a probably a lesser-known position coach because yeah. Kevin, Green, Kevin Green wasn't that dumb. But it was with the Panthers, I'm sure. And the coach was like got like that unit sitting on the bench, and he's, you know, being very animated and Kevin Green just snapped and stood up and like grabbed the coach by the neck and had to get pulled off. <laughs> so I almost pulled a Latrell. Kevin um, Green was no Bryce Pop. Um <laughs> but then who is what I no, remember I about Dom is that it looks think. like when it's when he was not so much well yeah I guess when he was head coach, but mostly when he was defensive coordinator and they they have that obligatory shot up in the booth. It looked like his uh hair was attached to the headset. Like, it was all one unit. Like, it was that little hat, a little fuzzy hat, and he could take it off. <laughs> right. Right. So I want to play a quick game here of who who has better hair. And I I came up with uh, sports guys who I think have some of the worst hair ever. And I realized that basketball coaches really dominate this list. And it's because, you know, if you're a, uh, if you're a baseball player, you got a hat. Ball if you're cap. a football coach, you can wear a hat. You wear a hat or visor, yeah. But if you're a basketball player or a coach, you're pretty well screwed. Because I don't think they're going to let you wear a cap <laughs> as much as you try. So, you just, so it's, a, it's not that it's not that NBA coaches are per, to, to a man like more follically challenged. It's the fact that it's more exposed. They right. can't and when you up. start to lose it, you've got you either have to embrace it. Like nowadays, like you, you just shave your head. You're like, you Correct. know what? That's fine. I'm just going to. Uh-huh. The good Lord didn't want me to have hair. I'm just not going to have it. Yeah. Uh, but there was a time when people didn't do that, and they would go to elaborate methods to mask it. And that's that's a down, that's what Dom Capers did. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm doing a lot of counting on this uh, uh-huh. episode. Looks Are like we I've keeping s- this to football or all, all North American pro sports? Uh, there's only North one North. other football guy on here. Okay. Uh, the rest are basketball coaches. Because <laughs> I did this like 30 seconds before. We Is Jeff Van Gundy one of the coaches? Oh, no, but that's a good one. Cause especially when he was with the Knicks, when okay. he was being dragged around the floor on Marcus Camby's foot. He um, right. he had the uh, he had a comb over. So better or worse, who has better hair, Dom Capers or the late, uh, recently departed Lou Henson? 
Oh boy. All right. So before you do this, I have to quickly pull up the Google machines because I don't even I couldn't Can't think of Dom? Not, if he walked up and kicked me on the balls in the balls. Just I would picture not. a guy with a black Brillo pad. No, I got it. Now. Holy Jesus. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right, good. So you got reference. Dom you got Dom or you got Lou? Uh, the, the the Lou do still. Yeah. My memory was, is just that was, name was awful. And the thing yeah. about Lou and the next guy is the same thing. So the whole time he coached, he was clinging to this elaborate comb over he retires he immediately shaves off the comb over just goes with the horseshoe looks a million times better wow uh the next one gene katie oh god yeah see i used to always th- that that katie actually instead of a comb uh, instead of a comb over it, it always seemed like he just actually sort of like went to ace hardware and bought and like shook up this with that ball inside of the spray can and, and just yeah, it sprayed was, his head right it was so wet all the yeah. time. And, so, yeah. and not only was it a comb over, but he clearly, it was a dye job, a terrible dye job. Yeah. And if this is a, all the if time. this is a, if this is a bracket, Henson knocks out capers, but Katie <laughs> knocks out Henson. And you know, Gene Katie, the to tie this to football played for the Steelers. Uh, I think I had known that at one point. I think I was, he used to be a football player, Katie okay. and Jim Finks. All right, go ahead. So the next guy I think is the closest thing to Dom. I think they actually have the same haircut. Dom's a little frizzier. Former Louisville head coach Denny Crum. Denny Crum. Yes. Interesting. Um, I don't. Denny's I very likely was uh, a toupee. There, I'm looking right now at Dom Capers, and in my mind's eye, my memory of Denny Crum, they almost look like a doppelganger. Yeah. They they yeah. look pretty similar to one another. So at least if nothing else after tonight, my takeaway is I, I won't forget what Dom Capers looks like because um, yeah. Looking at Denny Crum right now, actually, for the 80s, he did a pretty good job. I'm going to have to go Dom Capers having the benefit of more advanced science and still looking like that is his was shittier than Denny Yeah, Crum's. I mean, all these guys would, would would be on restore billboards up and down I-90. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's, we got our lone football guy that I put on the list here uh, because I'm – I still – occasionally I just – I Google it just to look at it because we we rarely saw it. But Mark Tressman's hair. Oh, yeah. Just abominable. Yeah. It's no wonder he wore the cap, right, as often as he could. But you couldn't hide that at an introductory press conference. And I'm looking at it now. And the thing, wow. Holy cow. The very first Google image. It almost like somebody must have Photoshopped this shit. If you just Google Mark Tressman and go to Google Images, and it'll take it to uh, an Argonauts website. it's It's CFL level hair. Is what it is. Yeah, it's like it's like somebody spray painted um, orange in the middle of it. It's not like he's wearing a toupee. He's just got not that much hair, and what he does with it. Not that I'm any kind of a you know freaking fashion guru, but it's pretty damn laughable. So this is why people like me shave our heads. All right, so the last three guys, uh, all basketball coaches, all decided to eschew the comb over and go with the perm. Just fluff it up. And actually, one of these guys, I don't think, was losing his hair. He just I'm liked getting, the perm. I'm getting excited about a Stan Albeck reference. Yes. Stan Albeck uh, really? is the first one on here. Yes. Yes. Stan with the perm with the bulls. <laughs> it was just amazing. Yes. Uh, he yeah. also coached at Bradley. And there's another Bradley coach on here who, the great, Dick Versace. Oh, yeah. Dick, I don't yeah. think, was losing his hair. Dick just he liked had, the perm. Or maybe it was a little had, thin. But he had mostly hair, but that so, perm was right. the worst. 
There was like a while where that was almost like a look because the Bulls had, before Stan Albeck was their coach, they had Kevin Lockery. Yep. And Lockery had gone silver. Now, he didn't quite have a perm, but he may have. You might want to look. Lockery in general didn't, but he may have when he had the Bulls. So I remember like it was almost like they had to hire another coach that had white curly hair, but Albeck was more gray. The thing about uh, and most guys like that, it was mostly gray. But the thing about Versace, who was the Versace, it was pronounced Versace. He was the Bradley coach, and then a, a pretty much a long time like local, like commentary guy in Chicago. Yeah, he was good. Is that he was, a, he was, was very good. entertaining. Yes. Yeah, but he had it wasn't gray. It was like pure shock white, yes. and it was it was actually kind of thorough. It was like like a clown almost. It really looked like um, he would have fit in in like the the late um, 1700s. Like he's got right. the, it looks right. like a powdered wig, basically. <laughs> he looked like, like he should be posing yeah. for uh, for his portrait. Yeah, like Dick Dick Quincy Adams. That's what he would have. He would have fit in better that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, folks, for, for all the three dozen of you that are listening to this, or I don't know what the numbers are, self-deprecating sort of my default, but just Google image search Dick Versace. Now, I'll put a picture of Dick on the bottom of the oh although, if, although if you have an iPhone in here on iOS 14, you're not, you're, it's going to be all screwed up. But still, yeah, it's amazing. It's He's a clear winner or loser. Yeah. I don't know yeah. which way. It's but, like a, a and then when, these... he, when he stopped perming it, he, he looked normal. I'm looking at it. It's got right. the whole range of it. He had hair. a little. He had a, a. He had a receding hairline. He had a high uh-huh. forehead, but he had plenty of hair. So it. Wasn't, yeah. He wasn't hiding a bald spot. He just liked it's to like poofy. He, he was going out of his way to poof it out. I yeah. mean, if you, if you look like the, it it, just, it almost looks like a mushroom top. Um, wow. So the the same uh same era, uh when when Dick was at Indiana, this guy would have been um. Uh, I think maybe he was in Cleveland at the time, but a long time uh, Atlanta Wilkins? Hawks coach. Well, yeah, Lenny, yeah. but I, I'm. Uh, oh, I know you're talking about the czar Mike, of the Telestrator. Mike Fratello, the czar yes. of the Telestrator. When he had the perm, it was the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, perms. I. It's funny. I'm. I'm glad you brought this up, Andy, because it, I do remember thinking as a kid growing up, like as a teenager, that like perms were sort of like the whether it was like. We're not necessarily. We've moved on actually now from comb-overs and receding hairlines. But I remember thinking partly because we watched Kevin Lockery and Stan Albeck, and then you know Versace down in Peoria and Mike Fratello, that like the perm was like sort of the standard uh, hairstyle of the NBA coach. Granted, Pat Riley was the most successful coach at that time. Well, and it's funny because Fratello went from it, it was like he was trying to model himself after. Uh, coaches he idolized it's like when he had the perm he was he was trying to be hubie brown then when he went to the Cavs, another one he slicked his hair back like he was riley and it just didn't work no matter where that's right he, where that's he right went. did he go to the Cavs after he so he he was the atlanta coach and then he went to the studio made a lot of money yep nbc and then he went joint went back and that was with cleveland that he went back to yes. or no they, yes, and they played an so, unwatchable brand of slow basketball. Was that after Lenny? He succeeded Lenny Wilkins then. Yes. Okay. Who so also I think coached the, that's the quite Hawks. The, that's quite the hair back to back. And Lenny had curly hair for a brother too. So like everybody was rocking the curls. I'm telling you, the NBA that was the style at the time. Mike Fratello listed here, five foot seven, 150 pounds. <laughs> Imagine like coaching a bunch of coaching like. How did that work? Yeah, he coached the but, Hawks. You know, 
from 83 to 90. Then he was at NBC for uh, until, well, just till 93. Um, but that would have been the first three Bulls seasons. So he was doing a lot of their games. So we remember that. Went to Cleveland That's from right. 93 to 99. Then went back to NBC. Um, then uh, 04, a short stint with the Grizzlies. And then he's been on NBA TV and TNT stuff. Actually, probably yeah. more TNT the second one. It was him and Marv, and they were great together. Um, I mean, even even when Doug Collins was the Bulls coach, he wasn't gray or balding, but he had a perm. Yeah, Doug had a perm for no apparent reason. He well, played. He had a perm when he played. That's true. That's true. All right. So um, now that we're really off the rails, uh, we had a couple of uh, a couple <laughs> of my a couple of my all time favorites. Uh, this is not football related. Or back in the news this week, um, our our dear uh, Ricky Renneria uh, oh. got the axe, and everyone immediately started to think, "Well, who are they going to hire? They're going to hire AJ Hinch. They're going to hire uh, Alex Cora. Which one of the disgraced, uh, recently uh, suspended managers are they going to hire?" People still think it's going to be AJ Hinch, but our friend, the great Bob Nightingale, Boom. swooped in out of nowhere, off the yep. top rope, with the greatest rumor. It's it's got to be bullshit, but the greatest rumor ever that Tony Larusa, seventy six year old Tony Larusa, might come back to manage the Chicago White Sox, a team that he left in nineteen eighty six when Hawk Harrelson got pissed and fired him for no. That's right. That's right. After forcing him to play Carlton Fisk in left field. (laughs) (laughs) So here's here's I want to see if you I I did very poorly at this. I always have the advantage when I think of these because I get to do them in private and then I make you do that on the podcast. Sure. Famously, um, Tony La Russa coached three different teams and he uh, coached them. He never took a season off. So from 1979 to 19 or to 2011, okay. he coached either the White Sox, the A's, or the Cardinals. That's impressive, actually. Over 30 years. Can successful. you? I, I got. The, um, I got about, I got the first three of these wrong, I think. So he, he came to the Sox in 79. Do you know who he replaced as manager of the White Sox? Former Cubs shortstop, Don Kessinger, who was actually one of the last player managers. Yes. Excellent. So that was good. And then do you know who replaced him in 1986? This one I got right, but technically I'm not going to count the interim. Doug Cuckoo Raider. Coach two games. Okay. Okay. Managed two games. I'm not going to count Doug. This is he the was, permanent replacement. And I did get this right, although he I would have been. He would have been replaced by a uh, classic red ass Jim Fergosi. Jim Fergosi, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. guy who looked a he, lot like my dad. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. He used to give dad a hard time. Hey, look, he's a good looking guy. Fergosi had been the. Uh, he was kind of a. Uh, he played for the Pirates, I think, in one of the World Series. He was. He took the Angels in the playoffs in '79, but uh, and I think he also coached the Phillies after the Sox. But he was. Uh, he was. I remember him being a pretty colorful character. Yes. He was good for a good quote or two. Yeah, three guys who looked a lot alike: Mike Dolan, Jim Fergosi, and the dad on the Wonder Years. Is that right? Yep. Okay, yeah. Now I can see the for, I don't Dan Lurie, I've, I, I've met I've met your dad right. See, I've met your dad, Andy, but it was in when he was in his sixties or seventies. Yes, the uh, hair so was he, going white. He, he had did, yeah, jet black yeah. hair most of his life. And so, so I like, can't quite place that, but I will vouch for the fact that Jim Fergosi and the dad from the Wonder Years definitely shared a resemblance. Yeah. So good call. And now I know that your dad your a younger version of your dad looked like them also. Okay, so here's what I didn't know. I shouldn't say I didn't remember. I didn't know it. So he gets canned in 1986. 
um, after he's 26 and 38. So he gets fired before the All-Star break. He goes to the A's that same season. Okay. He takes over after the All-Star break with the A's, goes 45 and 34. Who did he replace with the A's? I got this right, but it was just a blind guess. because How the hell did you get this right? Okay, hold on. I... um... Billy Martin had been the A's manager in like 80, 81, 82. By 84. Um, I felt like this guy managed the A's like nine different times. So I guessed his name and I was right. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm stumped here. And I'm mad that you've got you've got it. Um, I know like 84 A's, like like Dave Kingman reappeared there and was swatting homers as a DH. Canseco came up in 86. Who the hell was their manager before Larusa? I'm gonna have to surrender here because it's getting tedious. Jackie Moore. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten it. I think if you I, had I know, me, if you had me name three how, how A's managers, I would have yeah. picked. What is what is wrong with you? I don't like. I, I, I know would have it now. Dick Williams, yes. Billy Martin, and Jackie. Before, Moore. They would have been the only right. three guys I could have named. Dick Williams before our time, but we knew he was the manager. We remember him more as the Expos manager. But I, I remember that name now, but there's not, there's no way I would have guessed that. Well, I so know I had a Jackie Moore baseball card as the manager. I remember that. Yeah, so that was I do remember. Sweet spot of guys I remembered. Um, he is okay, not, okay. he is not That's the fair. female R and B singer Jackie Moore. <laughs> Just to be clear, no, no, yeah, the the immortal singer of this time, baby. And walk away from love. It's not that Jackie Moore. Different guy. Okay, so who replaced Larusa in Oakland? This I got wrong okay. because I thought there was somebody in between them. So I'm probably giving okay. It. So Larusa, I know that Larusa came to the Cardinals in '96. His last year in Oakland would have been '95. Um, and and so it's that brief window in time between um, what's his name. Uh, whoever, Sandy Alderson and Billy Bean, you know, that transition because uh, Bean came in shortly after. And Oakland was terrible. How the hell am I supposed to know who their manager would have been in 96? Well, my, my hint would be that I thought somebody managed before this guy. You thought somebody managed before him? Between, oh. I thought there was somebody in between him and Tony and there wasn't. He managed well, longer a, with the A's than I thought he did. It's not Art Howe, it right? It is Art Howe. Art Howe really? over 96. Yes. I would not have guessed that. I would have thought that'd be yeah, same same line of thinking as you that there was somebody in between there because the A's were pointless at that point. Okay, so two guys had managed the Cardinals in '95, um, and I will I'm embarrassed to say I remembered the second and not the first. So you remember Mike Jorgensen, but yes. not Joe Torre? I knew Mike Jorgensen was the guy that Larusa replaced. It, I forgot Joe Torre was it there. Just popped, it just Jorgensen just popped in my head. I remember Torre. I've got a neighbor that I coached my our kids the league with. That's a Cardinals fan, and you know we, we rehashed the Joe Torre. How like Joe Torre was a insignificant manager until he arrived in New York, and he did nothing with the Cardinals in the early nineties. Um, and, but then I remember Jorgensen replacing him because I remember Mike Jorgensen as the Mets first baseman from the early eighties and I'm like, Oh, so now he's managing the Cardinals. So it just popped into my head tonight. Um, and so he was the manager before La Russa. Yeah. Okay. Torrey's pre Yankee managerial thing was so undistinguished. It'd been the, what the Braves, Un- the Mets and the he, Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. The Mets, they were terrible. The Braves, he did take the playoffs in 82. That there was the if- famous cover of the New York post back cover of the New York post when the Yankees hired him. Clueless Joe. 
Wow. And see, Clueless Joe won how many World Series for them? Five. Well, and it does obviously show the whole dichotomy of talent uh, versus man. Like you know, Casey Stengel on the opposite direction, you know, was wondering aloud in 1962, can anybody play this game? I mean, he was, you know, an epically an epic winning manager for the Yankees and then loses 120 games. So it just proves the axiom. Uh, you're as, you know, only as good as the talent you have, obviously. So there are, that. there are two, are two major league umps. One I think is former. I know one, is. I know one's former and I think one is former um, that I know not. I know, just, La- I know Larry Young personally. Yes. Roscoe, okay. Illinois, famous Larry Young, I believe he went to high oh. school in Oregon, Illinois. I know Oregon. And I know Marty Foster. I, I I knew Marty Foster when I worked for the Bloyd Snappers one year, and he was in the Midwest League, and he he married um, the daughter of George Spilius, the commissioner of the Midwest League. Interesting. And if you've ever seen George Spilius' daughter, you would immediately question Marty's eyesight to the point where you wouldn't make him an umpire. <laughs> but not his sort of savvy, because it was probably maybe a good practical move. Probably. It probably was a good career move, but oof. Um, so I was at a, uh, we were at, uh, we're at one of our friend's houses and he's a mutual friend of Larry and we were all hanging out on the deck and Larry, it was during the baseball season, but Larry, you know, umpires get time off and Larry had come over to drink beer mm-hmm. and he's telling stories. And I, I, and somebody said to him something, somebody made fun of Joe Torrey and he's like, you know what? He said, Joe. He takes a lot of crap for just, for being the manager of a great team and just being along for the ride. And he's like, but that guy is the perfect person for the Yankees. And I don't know if you remember the famous Armando Benitez brawl where... Baltimore? Yes. Where, like, ten guys got kicked out of the game. And it's in the middle of a pennant race, and it's a big game for both teams. And Larry said, we're peeling guys off the off of each other, and we're standing there trying to figure out who are we going to throw out. And I said, the Yankees, we, we, I think they said they kicked out seven Yankees, I think. He goes, so we go over, we call, I call Joe over, and I'm running down the list. Like, oh, we, had to, we had to throw Paul O'Neill out. We had to throw Roger Clemens out. We had to, he goes, I just a list of, like, most of his best players are gone in this really important game. And Joe looks at me and goes, all right. Turns and walks the dog. <laughs> so you thought for sure he's gonna just lose his shit. And he's like, "All right, we'll figure it out." So that's nice. Always, I always think of that story when I think of Joe Torrey. He's like, "Here was a like, big game, and he lost most of his team, and he had to win it." And he's like, "All right, we'll figure it out." And Torrey, he could have put on a show and just yeah, yeah or at just least just been to... really pissed that right. all those guys got thrown out. It just decided to swallow it. No, I, I, I like Torrey, you know, and I admired what he did with the Yankees. It just. You know, yeah, he undistinguishes the ultimate uh, description. The other, uh, the other one of our favorites, uh, who made news this week, uh, Joe Morgan made news for dying, and, um, yep. So I, f- I felt like somewhere, either here or on the newsletter, somewhere I had to recount uh, the story behind the single dumbest thing I ever heard him say. And that would be yes, yes, during yes. a Sunday night game. Which, by the way, let's just for the record, There's a lot. It, uh, right, that is not exactly a a simple feat. Yes. Um, during a, this was late in his run. I looked. I looked it up. It's on Discipio. I'll link to the um, thing. He he lost his Sunday night baseball job in 2010. 
Wow, he went that long. Yes. And um, I believe that the headline of the article was, should we be worried where Joe will end up? I was already worried that he was going to go to Fox and be, do more games. He never did turn up anywhere, did no, he? No, that was pretty much the end of it. Um, a couple of years earlier than that, in a Cub home Sunday night game, a player on one of the two teams hit a ball into the basket for a home run. Joe figured that was the time to break out his elaborate, historically based um, tale of the Wrigley Field basket and how when he was a player for the Reds, everybody called it Banks Boulevard because that's where Ernie hit all his home runs. Right. There's a little bit of a problem with that. Uh, Ernie retired in uh, 1971. That was the year the basket went up. Yeah. Ernie hit seven home runs at Wrigley Field that year, one of which was his 500th home run, which we know didn't go into the basket because we've seen it a million times. It's the only it's the, Ernie highlight we've ever seen. Correct. Yep, only footage. So at the very most, he hit six of 511 home runs. 512? How many home runs right. did Ernie hit? Well, 512, but, I, but obviously not and, nearly and enough. To I have forge, a feeling none the of them went in the basket. I, have, I, would, a, yeah. I, I would guess... Ernie never hit a home run into the basket, which supposedly was called Banks Boulevard, because according to right. Joe, he had all his home runs. It, of all the apocryphal stories in, in, in the history of human beings, I mean, that is one of the most apocryphal and like deliberately disingenuous. I was like, where does he, where does he get off just come, you know, coming up with that? I will say, all right, there might be some resentment, you know, maybe about banks, certainly around Sandberg about, you know, taking advantage of the power alley, right. Where, you know, look, Wrigley, we, as we all know, down the lines, it's far, but not too many guys hit the ball down the line. Cause, but otherwise it's the furthest down the line, but power alley is some of the shortest. So sometimes you catch a good wind, you hit one in the gap, it goes out fine. Uh, but to extrapolate, and actually invoke a basket that hadn't even been installed till Ernie Banks was an old ass thirty seven year old who had already clobbered you know like you said had already hit over five hundred homers. Um, it just makes you wonder about the guy, and it's, it's so disrespectful because you know Morgan himself joins the Reds what like seventy two seventy three. You know, they they had won they won a pennant in seventy they won it with him in seventy two. The team was loaded uh, for a guy that. As good as he was, and he was, I'm not taking anything away from him as a player, uh, but what a fortuitous stroke of events for him. You know, he labors, he toils for like six, seven seasons, right? He was an undistinguished player early in his career. He led the league in walks in 1965. I'm looking at it now, but I otherwise have it up here. Played for the Colt 45s. Good player, and, and obviously became a, a, a a great player in Cincinnati, but he also joined a team that was just loaded with talent all around the field. And the fact that he never demonstrated an ounce of humility or gratitude for his circumstances, I just, you know, says all you need to know about him. And the fact that he would perpetrate a myth about a great player from a previous generation, you know, is not, not only disrespectful to me, um, and, and I guess not so much of a previous generation. Morgan debuted in 65, but, you know, Banks was in the league 10 years at that point. So, yeah, I'm going to stand by. He was kind of an older school. So to, den- to even denigrate a guy that was fr- not even a contemporary, but kind of a giant from uh, the, the class of people before him, um, just it rubs me the wrong way. And I'll leave it at that. Well, so Joe played the first two years of his career in Colt Stadium, which um, 
the wall, the fences were like 208 feet away from home plate. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to guess that of his career, he hit 268 homers in his career. I think he hit 200 of them those first two years at Colt Stadium. Um, so they sh- they shouldn't count, even though actually he he didn't homer either of the two years he, he did Colt Stadium. He, he, he developed power he, late in his career. He didn't hit any home runs until he moved into the freaking Astrodome. <laughs> and then he's like, you know what? This place I could hit it out of. But Joe even then, was, he, he struggled to hit homers until he got to Cincinnati, though, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, the most amazing thing about Joe was Joe was a he was undeniably a great player. I mean, he, there's a reason he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was absolutely mm-hmm. a great player. But when he was an announcer, he didn't value any of the things in other players that made him great. Right, right. Like he, right. like you said, he led the league in walks one, two, three, what? at least four, four times. And he yep. had over a hundred. He had a stretch where he had over a hundred. One, two, three. I'm counting again. Six years yep. in a row. Um, he, he had he had a, a string here of six straight years of a 400 or better on base percentage. He was also, especially once, uh, actually when he hit 30, all of a sudden he started to slug. Yep. Which and, just added to his OPS. But he would OPS. watch games and he would piss and moan about guys not being uh-huh. aggressive enough, taking too many walks. I mean, he was the, from the dusty, clogging the bases bullshit. Right, right. Which it is just, astonishing. It just drove you crazy because he was, it would be one thing if he had been a player who didn't do any of that stuff and didn't see a value in it. He did it all and he didn't see a value in it. It was just really weird. It was. It uh, was. So in 1996, 97. I worked for a website uh, in Seattle. It was called GoToNet. It was going to be the biggest thing. We were, um, we had developed a sports site, and we had a stock. We had a business site that really got a lot of uh, a lot of people loved the business site. It had this I, for the tech at the time that was amazing was our ticker. We had this awesome ticker. It's something I would put on a website today if uh, they had it. Okay. And so I I went there to write about basketball, but they also had me write a lot about baseball because we just needed it. We had, we spent most of our budget. I say we, I was along for the ride. Um, But they spent most of their budget on, uh, I don't remember who the football expert was at all, but our our basketball expert was Bill Russell, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Absolutely. Our baseball expert was Joe Morgan. Oh, and we would have been better off if we had hired the old Red Sox manager, Joe Morgan, instead of <laughs> him. So, like, Bill, you know, this was the 90s. Bill, what Bill Russell would do is Bill would write out his columns longhand and fax awesome. them in. I love this. And That's awesome. So somebody would, I, somebody I, would go and transcribe gu- them, for, you know, retype them and for I, him, edit it a little and I'm bit. Guessing, and I'm guessing they were thoughtful. Yes, they were great. You know, I mean, he's a penetrating. Yes. He's a very thoughtful, smart guy. I never mm-hmm. had to deal with him directly, but they loved him. And when they had, if he had to call Bill, or he called in, he could not have been nicer. That's great. Joe, you'll be shocked to know that was not the experience people had with Joe. Oh God! Uh, they would have to track Joe down. He wrote a weekly column. Have to track him down and call him because he would never call in. And what he would do is he would come up with topics. And, and and just say, well, you just write that up. <laughs> it's like, well, no, that's not 
we want your insight. We don't, you're not, the idea, how about we come up with some topics and you pick one you really like, and then you don't have to write it, but you just, you know, we'll, somebody will interview you. Right, we've got a ghost right And yeah. then we'll just write it. But that's not how Joe wanted to do it. So Joe would basically be like, hey, talk about, uh, you know. Uh, Almost like instead of providing substance, he was Nephi trying to. Per- like, Nephi he, Perez, best young player in baseball. Right. right. He was like trying to be the producer and like generate the top instead oh, he of actually. He, he was getting the checks. He didn't want to do any work. Yeah. Um, it sounds about right. So that was Joe. So that, that always colored my opinion uh, of Joe. He also, he spent a long time pissing and moaning about how Ryan Sandberg was overrated. To the point yeah. where he, he he didn't go to to the hall. He he was at every Hall of Fame induction ever. Is that Sitting right? in the front row, yucking it up. Didn't go the year Sandberg was there. And so I remember we were watching the induction. He's, Joe's not there. And thinking, all right, if he's going to talk about it clearly on the broadcast tonight, on Sunday night. No, he didn't, he didn't do the Sunday night game. He always took the Hall of Fame weekend off, and he took it off. He just didn't go because he didn't want to be there for Sandberg. It's so he, really he actually got a free weekend because of Sandberg, and yet still had a, had a dump on him. Uh, he did. He would deny that later in his career when he was confronted, but the, the evidence was pretty there. It wasn't just uh, Sandberg. He always, he always struck, and I'm no Ron Santo fan, as you know, because I thought he was just a horrible broadcaster that annoyed the hell out of me. But Santo should have been a Hall of Famer long before he got inducted. But it always felt like Morgan and Mike Schmidt, like they were part of – this thing that kept Santo out, and it, was, it struck me as ironic too, because I think, yeah, maybe Joe Morgan was justifiably a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he also he also always struck me as one of these guys that, in a really savvy move, as soon as he retired from baseball, he went right into the media. He wanted to keep his name out there yeah. and make sure that people knew who he was, and I think that contributed him to being a first ballot Hall of Famer. And that, to me, he was sort of the. Um, the antecedent, the, the first example in baseball of this guy. I mean, it's not true. I'm sure there are examples that predate it, like Ralph Kiner with the Mets. But like he he took that sort of blueprint, and I'm going to join the booth. I'm going to, you know, people are going to get sick. You know, they're, they're going to I'm going to be ubiquitous. I'm going to get myself in the Hall of Fame as soon as I can. And he did first ballot. And then Sano, of course, goofy. Don't be right. Santa tried the same thing and just it got stretched out. But I always kind of felt that Morgan was also a little bit behind that, like, you know, limiting the club and, and you know, and, and, and keeping it as exclusive as he could because that's yeah. how he was. I mean, part of part of Santo's weight for the hall was that he was a dick to everybody and he wanted it too much. It's part of yeah. the thing. You can't. But I mean, as a player, know he was. He, as a player, he was an asshole to he, other for, to other opponent, teams. He rubbed players the right, wrong way, which was fine. I mean, it was just part of Ron being Ron. But then, you know, so much of it is political. Eventually, he became famous for being the best player not in the Hall of Fame. Right. And at at that point, it had been it had been long ago enough that he. Um, People, the sentiment even among former players started to turn, and it mm-hmm. kind of it softened, and they weren't actively bitching and pissing and moaning about him. They still waited till he died, which frankly still kind of makes me laugh because I'm a horrible person. But he still didn't get inducted till after he was gone. I mean, I'm torn because I, I was always annoyed by the broadcast of Sano, but like by any metric. And I know the one argument was like, how can you let four guys from a team that never won a right. pennant into the playoffs? Um, but I mean, I don't know. He was. If, he was. If, if, he if was, the twenty-one other guys aren't good, 
He was players aren't going to the World Series for a while. He was just a shade behind Brooks Robinson defensively, and he was an above average. He was he was he was actually the best offensive performer on those DeRosa era pennant contenders statistically. Probably a little bit of an edge over Billy Williams, Uh, and yeah, he played at a position that's been historically overlooked, and he was great. Uh, But his own personality got in the way. So, but like I said, I think more guys like Morgan capitalize on that though too. So to, to kind of bring us the, at least the baseball part full circle, one of the things Joe is most famous for is he shares with another guy we talked about. Um, both he and Hawk Harrelson hated Moneyball, the concept, the book, everything. And the, Which the two things again, they have in for, common. For Morgan is supremely ironic because he was the right, classic right. quote unquote. You Moneyball could make player. right. You could make a Moneyball case that he. <laughs> You could use Moneyball, or you know, like that concept to make a case that he he was even better than people. Bill remember. James has him ranked as the all-time greatest second baseman yeah. ahead of Hornsby and Charlie Geringer and Roberto Allen, like uh, based on sabermetrics. And I think he's got him in the top ten, or maybe not for players, but he's definitely the number one second baseman for so, Bill James. But the the thing Hawk and Joe have in common is they both hated the book. They talked about it all the time, but neither one of them read it, and they both admitted they never read the book. Jesus. But Joe goes one better because Joe was always convinced, and he would say it, he thought Billy Bean wrote the book. (laughs) It's like, no, Michael Lewis wrote the book. Billy's in the book. He didn't write the book. And he would bitch about it on Sunday Night Baseball, about, oh, you know that book he wrote. It's like, he didn't write the book. Like like between checking on the scouting departments and making deals, he's sitting with his, yeah. And And I'm pretty sure that uh, Dan Bernstein asked him on the air one time why... Why he if he if he decries the book so much? Why if he'll ever read it? He's like, oh, I'm not going to read it. I know I know what's in it. It's like, well, no, I don't think you do, because just, right. It seems like you it, really don't know what. It's in just it. classic willful ignorance. And I know, like younger kids, and I caught some heat from a couple of people that like people grew up with that voice, and I only feel pity for them because that like. Uh, maybe Joe Garagiola was not the greatest color analyst. If like maybe you listen to his games, maybe he spouted the same bromides, you know, had the same anti-intellectual nonsense. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm just being nostalgic, but I just feel like we benefited more by having Tony Kubek and Joe Garagiola provide color to our youth on national games compared to the kids that came after us and had to get subjected to, subjected to that arrogant, self-absorbed, um, whatever. I'm not going to, He's dead, so I'm not going to drop any more pejoratives. But Joe Morgan, that's that was the voice of the youth for a lot of our kids, and I just think that's sad. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it's it's a shame that given, especially you know nowadays, it, Sunday night baseball doesn't have the the impact that it did. It was it replaced the NBC game of the week as the game. Of it the was week. it was impactful. I'll give it that. Um, I've always. It's especially when I wrote for the Athletic. I was always pissed when the Cubs were on it because I wrote a Monday column and I really wanted to have the damn thing done by like you know, seven o'clock at night. I didn't want to have to wait for the game to end in case I had to fix any of it. So I would always bitch. Um, but I also just think the Cubs should always play at one twenty on Sunday. So I was all I still get pissed. <laughs> right. I always still get pissed when they had to play on the Sunday night. And game. No pajama tops. Yes, no pajama tops and no yeah, just, and just don't wear the blues ever. Those things yeah. are. Well, those are the pajama tops, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think of the pullovers as the pajama tops. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, My bad. But 
regardless. I just, I don't like those things. Um, so yeah, so uh, Joe and Hawk um, hate Billy Bean for writing a book that he didn't write. Actually, I mean, we know what Hawk's, Hawk's problem with the book was um, Michael Lewis going on and on about the, um, I don't remember which trade it was now. The Sox and A's make a trade in the book. And he makes a huge deal out of the fact that the, uh, that Billy really screwed Kenny over and um, Hawk took that and it didn't turn out that way. I forget. I don't remember who the the trade was off off the top of my head. But um, it didn't turn out that way. But, yeah, Hawk was gleeful whenever they – here were the A's going to the playoffs every year. You know, the Sox have still never gone to the playoffs in back-to-back years. The A's were going right. every year, but they weren't going – they weren't winning pennants. And so Hawk somehow would do a victory lap that the Billy Bean <laughs> shit didn't work. It's like he's getting them to the playoffs every year. Or the other thing was the book's all about on-base percentage, and the only reason they're good is because of those pitchers. Well, yeah, he got them too. You know, right. It's not like Billy's only picking the hitters. Mulder, also, Hudson, he and Zito. He drafted three them together. Yes. He developed them. Good point. So. All right. No, well, we started off with Steve Smith running wild on the Bears, and we ended up with. Yep. With well, but. you knew we'd have to stretch some time considering we're dealing with an NFL franchise that has such a short <laughs> history. 25 years. 25 years, and not that much with the Bears. But we stretched it out. I even invoked my own drunken incident at Denver International Airport just to stretch out the Bears-Panthers narrative. So the Panthers do, do have a winning re- all-time winning record in the playoffs. Okay. They're 9-8, and eight, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think most teams are under 500 in the playoffs because that's usually how it works. Except for maybe the Pats and the... Niners. Uh yeah, the Pat only only and I'm only going to say only because the Pats never freaking made the playoffs like that often. Right. They didn't like, have a bunch of one and outs cuz they were dumb They never shit. were. Went to yeah. one Super Bowl, then all of a sudden yeah. got really good and went to all the Super Bowls for a while. So. Correct. So All right, well, we'll brush up on some Ram stories. I think we can uh that'll be the next opponent. There's some there's some stuff there, I think, at least more than the Panthers. All right, well, good. So, nice job, Mike. And uh, you too. So, go Bears. Go Bears. Talk to you in a week. Many of us have herpes. 